0: Hebrews 8, and we'll begin in verse 1. Now the point and what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But As it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. For if the first covenant had been found faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Lord, open our eyes to your word that we may be able to see all that you have for us. Instruct our minds and hearts, Lord. Help us to understand Change us and transform us according to your will. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Please be seated. Now, as we've moved through this Advent season, we've looked at Jesus as the Lamb of God, and last week as prophet, this week as priest, and as you might imagine, next week will be king. And you may wonder, um, in terms of Jesus' priestly role, what did, how does all of this tie in? Why are you doing this at Advent? You understand the priest's two primary functions, as we see in the Old Testament, were that of offering sacrifices and serving as a mediator for the people of God in the temple. And while we may understand the sacrificial component as key, we certainly talk about that more, uh, it's also important to understand that Christ is our mediator, that he intercedes for us. And this particular passage, the reason I chose it is it's almost like a summary uh, for the writer as he's moving through these thoughts. And we're going to look back at some of his previous words in the letter. Uh, this is almost a pause that he makes for, to summarize what he said, but also to tie in this idea of the new covenant. That things are changing, and they're changing right in the middle of this period in history when this letter was written. The letter is aimed at Hebrews. That's why it's called Hebrews. These were Jews who had come to faith in Christ, what we would call a Messianic Jew. They understood that Jesus was the Messiah, the one who had been promised and who had come and fulfilled. And so today I want us to look at Christ's priestly role for us. There's three things that we want to uh, consider today. One, Jesus came as our priest to establish the new covenant. And what that means, two, that Jesus came as our priest to atone for our sins once for all, and three, that Jesus came as our priest to be our mediator, to be our the one who intercedes for us. And while we'll look at that in a minute, um, if you've never had someone mediate for you, it may be hard to understand what are, what's the value of it. When we moved overseas... Uh, we entered the country on a tourist visa, which gave us three months, but we needed to secure a long-term visa. And as you might imagine, in some countries, this is easier said than done. And so we employed an immigration specialist. I don't know what his title was exactly, but that was the, the gist of it. And he was our mediator between us and the government. He was a local. He spoke the language. He knew the law. He knew the... well. He knew the pieces of paper to get, and he gave us that list, and we got all those papers. But as you might imagine, every time you go in, there's always one more piece of paper that they didn't tell you about. But he did all that for us, and he made the way. And it was still painful and hard, and there was a lot of times where we were asking people to pray because we didn't think it was going to go through, but he interceded. And so when there were those moments when we were standing in the office waiting for the official stamp, not knowing if it was coming, and there was this... Dialogue back and forth in a language that we didn't understand. Uh, he was making things happen. Things that were outside of our control. Things that we couldn't do for ourselves. And that's what Jesus is doing for us. Not just in his coming and Advent. And not just on the cross. But today, now. We see that he's seated at the throne. We see in other pages, passages that he's standing at the right hand of God. Uh, it 's his prerogative. The point is is that he is with the Father, one with him in heaven, working for us on our behalf. so let 's begin with the first point that Jesus came as our priest to establish the new covenant. In the old covenant, we see the system, the law, the priestly system, the, the tabernacle, the system of worship. and yet it was never intended to be permanent. The recipients of these this letter, as I mentioned, were Jews. They were Hebrews. And they were very accustomed to these practices, going to the temple regularly, of seeing the sacrifices offered. And so what the writer is trying to do is to unfold how the work of Christ fulfills and therefore makes obsolete the civil and ceremonial laws that the Jews had been living by for centuries. In other words, this was a part of who they were. This was their, custom. It was their culture. And so for it to change was a big deal for them to consider. Christ actually fulfilled all this? This isn't necessary anymore? This is why the writer says that Christ's ministry is much more excellent than the old. Because the new covenant he mediates is better. It's better. And he bases this on two arguments. One, that it was enacted on better promises... And he gives those promises. And then two, if the old covenant had been faultless, there would be no occasion to look for a second in verse 7. So he implies by that that the first one was lacking. We're going to look at that as well. He goes back to the passage that he quotes here, and you'll see in your Bibles it's indented. That usually implies that there's a quotation, a longer quotation going on. This is from Jeremiah 31, the promise of the new covenant. And in this New Covenant promise, God says several things. One, uh, in in verse 10 in our our text, it's uh, verses 31 to 34 in Jeremiah, he promises to put my law into their minds and to write them on their hearts. How had the law been given the first time? Under the Old Covenant. On stone, right? Etched in stone, given to Moses. Had to do it twice, remember that. Secondly, he promises, I will be their God and they will be my people. That's a promise we've heard before. What's different about this? He gave them a promise, they shall know me from the least to the greatest in verse 11. And then in verse 12, I will remember their sins no more. In the old covenant, everything was external. It was something to be conformed unto. But the new covenant would be internal. Something that would transform people by writing it on their hearts and their minds. Ezekiel, another prophet, expressed it in a similar way. And the same promise God's giving through the prophet Ezekiel in chapter 36, verse 26. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. A real beating heart. This was something that the people of God had not experienced. The law had been unable to transform the heart. Remember, Paul said that it's unable to do this in Romans 8. It shows us God's perfect character, it shows us that we don't measure up, but it can't transform the heart. This is why we need a Savior. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. The righteous requirement of the law was something that the people of God in the Old Covenant could never experience being fulfilled in their flesh. They didn't know it. It was all forward. It was something they were trusting God to do. And it's something that we know now has been accomplished in the person and work of Christ. Even though we live in the gap, right? We're still in this now and not yet time where we are still in a fallen world and we're still in bodies that sin and we still struggle with sin. And yet we know that Christ has overcome and conquered sin and death. The promise was more. God will be ours and we will be his every one of his people will know him from the least to the greatest in other words the need for earthly priests would no longer be necessary the hierarchy had been dismantled we are called now a kingdom of priests or the way that we 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 talk about the priesthood of all believers because why the holy spirit indwells all of us who believe We're now empowered. God lives in us. He's made His tabernacle in our hearts. See, the old covenant was earthly, and the new covenant is heavenly. Jesus, following His ascension, sat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, says verse 1. Everything on earth had merely been a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things, in verse 5. Now, if your mind wonders at all, you might think, so heaven looks like the tabernacle? Heaven looks like the temple? Well, the Bible doesn't give all the details. And so where the Bible's silent, we need to be silent. But the Bible says there's some copy, there's some shadow, there's some hint at what happens. We look at Isaiah 6 where the, 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 the robe of the Lord, the train of the robe filled the temple. There's, there's something, there's, there's hints at it, But but don't try and lock your mind into this. The Bible's silent. Heaven will be more wonderful and more amazing than we could ever ask or think or imagine. That's my definitive answer on what it's going to be like. But the new covenant is established and carried out in heaven. It's not an earthly covenant. The sacrifices that the priests made in the old covenant never atoned for sins. They pointed to an atonement that was to come, but they were, they were designed to, to, to get people to look forward what God was going to do, but they weren't sufficient. How do we know this? Because they had to do it all the time, continually. They never got to stop. They had to continue offering these sacrifices. The high priest entered the Holy of Holies once a year, so one person out of the entirety got to enter into the Holy Holies once a year. And yet because Jesus is our high priest, you and I, the way has been opened for us to come boldly before God, before his throne, and have access with confidence, Paul writes in Ephesians 3. The writer of Hebrews said, us, said it this way, Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to, find, to help in time of need. That, that, that curtain that was torn in two when Christ was crucified on the cross is now open for you and for me to come to a holy God. And then the fourth element is that I will remember their iniquities no more. Our sins would be forgiven. And this brings us into the second point, that Jesus came as our priest to atone for our sins once for all. So he came as our priest to establish the new covenant. He came as our priest to atone for our sins, finally and completely. Again, we, we, we look at the temple, there was a copy, a shadow uh, of what was to come. It was a regular reminder and the fact that they had to continually offer sacrifices. That was a regular reminder for them that their, their sins were not dealt with. The sacrifices were forward-looking. The tabernacle itself was exclusive, not inclusive. We already talked about the fact that the high priest was the only one who could come into the Holy of Holies. In fact, into the temple, or into the tabernacle or temple itself, the holy place, outside the Holy of Holies, but inside that inner curtain, only the priests could come there. The Jews could only come as far as where the sacrifices were made. And the Gentiles, most of us, <laughs> we, the outer, outer court was as far the court of the Gentiles. Basically, you come up to the outside of the building. You couldn't even get in. It was exclusive. It was restrictive. And, of course, the biggest problem, and the readers didn't know this was coming. This was written in about 60 A.D., but what was going to happen about 10 years after that? The temple was going to be destroyed, never to again be rebuilt. What, how would they worship God? There are many more reasons that we could list as to why the system was temporal. in heaven, in the true tabernacle tabernacle of God, is better because it's enacted on better promises. And what were those promises? That's the quote from Jeremiah 31. Christ came to atone, die for our sins, to pay, not simply as our high priest. He came as the sacrifice himself. That's what we saw in Jesus as the Lamb of God. Consider the words that preceded. You know, our text started with, now the point of what we are saying is this, which means we probably need to consider what was being said, but it's it's actually the whole first seven chapters. We don't have time to look at all that. So just look up a bit to to verse 26 in chapter 7. there is no need for any more sacrifice for sin. Because Jesus came, because he died, because he rose, because he ascended, he is now, the text is made perfect, fulfilled as our eternal high priest. He was without sin, and yet he is perfectly, everything God intended for the earthly priestly system to be that it never could be, Jesus was and is. Sin and death are defeated. The author of Hebrews says it this way, The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for him. And that's our third point, that Christ is our mediator. He not only came to bring the new covenant, He not only came to atone for our sins, but He is the one who is interceding for us right now. So the story of Christmas is not something that's just nostalgic, far back in history that happened. It matters for today. The covenant He mediated is better. You might think, if it's better, then did God make a mistake? Was the first covenant a mistake? Of course, we know the answer. Does God make mistakes? No, (laughs) of course it wasn't a mistake. The first covenant was a part of God's plan of redemption to show the glory of His grace. If He had come in and saved Adam and Eve instantly in that moment that they sinned and fixed everything right there, we would never know the glory of His grace. Now that's hard because that involves years of sin and pain and suffering. But God is up to something, and we know that He's faithful, and we know that He's good. The other element was the first covenant was based on their obedience. He wanted to show them that they needed Him, that they needed a Savior, that they couldn't save themselves. Could they keep His first covenant? No. Could we keep His first covenant? No. He finds fault with them, verse 8 says, when he says, and then he lists the passage in Jeremiah as to why they didn't obey. They did not continue in my covenant. Even though he had led them like a father leads a child by the hand out from Egypt, caring for them, his people disobeyed. But we thank God that the new covenant is not based upon our obedience, but it's based on Christ's obedience on our behalf. The pressure is off. This was God's plan of redemption all along. The sending of his son not only to pay for our sins, but to fulfill the law, to obey for us, to fulfill all that the law required. Paul echoes this truth in his opening. Listen to how similar this sounds In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in Him, things in heaven, and things on earth. It is the riches of God's grace that have been put on display for His glory through the coming of Jesus as our priest and our mediator." so that we then have a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever. Hebrews 6. This is what the writer's trying to make the point, and this is what I'm trying to get at today. So let me try and bring it all together. There's a lot of different elements. Let's try and sum it up, that Jesus is our eternal high priest in in the heaven, where the perfect tabernacle is, the true Holy of Holies, He is there for us to give us an anchor of our soul today, right now. The hope of Christmas is not just history. It matters today. For whatever you are dealing with today, He is an anchor for your soul, moment by moment, to stand firm against the waves of the pain, the loss, the grief, the brokenness, the loneliness that we experience in this world, or our own sin, the pride, the fear, the anxiety, the stress, how we handle it. All those things that are external and then how we respond even when we don't want to respond the way that we do respond. Christ is a mediator on our behalf. It matters now in our time of need. The writer said back in chapter 4, Since then we have a high priest, a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. Anchored in Him, knowing that this is sure. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When Jesus said, I am the vine, apart from me you can do nothing. He meant that He is with us through His Spirit and He is for us at the right hand of God. We are united to Him as our High Priest. He understands our weaknesses because He's walked in our shoes. He's lived here. He knows our temptations. He knows our pains. We have a sympathetic High Priest who is for us. So when you feel like you're alone or that everything is stacked against you, Or that you can't overcome what you're facing, hold fast to the confession. Trust the one who was sinless and yet died for your sins, and be confident as you draw near to him, knowing that the great assurance, with great assurance, that you will receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let me say that if you have never trusted Christ, if you're hearing this today, and you have never trusted him as your Savior, today is the day of salvation. Fall on his mercy. Find hope and help in your time of need in what Christ has done for you. You can't save yourself. You can't overcome your sin. But he has done this for you. You who are by faith in Christ, come boldly to your high priest, drawing near with confidence. Jesus is our high priest. His name is love. He forever lives and pleads for you. Your name is graven on his hands and written on his heart. Nothing can separate you from his love. Nothing. So when Satan tempts you to despair and reminds you of the guilt within, look up to Jesus, your high priest, who made an end of all your sin. Because the sinless one died for you and for me, your sinful soul is counted free. Because God, who is just, looks to Jesus and is satisfied to pardon you. Behold, Jesus, the risen Lamb, the perfect, spotless, righteous one, the great, unchangeable I Am, our King of glory and of grace, We are one with him and cannot die because our soul has been purchased by his blood. Our life is hidden with Christ on high, our Savior and our God. He is our high priest. We're going to sing those words or hopefully you recognize those words. And I hope they'll mean something a little different to you because you know Jesus as your high priest. Let's pray. Father, I do pray today that you would allow your word to sink in. Lord, separate my rambling thoughts and my disconnected ideas and allow the truth that you are the one who has brought the new covenant. You are the one who has been a final atonement for all of our sin and you are the one who uh, forgives our iniquities. And you intercede for us now. You are the mediator on our behalf, the one who works for us. Lord, may we see that and believe that and rest in that and find hope in the moment by moment days ahead of us. In Jesus name, I pray. Amen. Let's